0: You are getting the presidential daily brief
1: yes. only once a week.
0: Well, I, I get it when I need it.
1: He doesn't need it. He's a busy man. Don't bore him with well, such I things. Don't
0: know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the, left of me, to the
2: right here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes I'm stuck in the From
1: Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast like as heard on People Powered Radio KPFK 90.7 FM in LA 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara 93.7 FM in San Diego 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake California up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York's WLPP 102.9 FM, Bellingham, Washington's KZAC's 94.9 FM, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on many fine streaming outlets, On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth, five days a week, you can run, but you can't hide from the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From Bradblog.com, thank you for joining us today. Coming up, Donald Trump, as you heard in that opening quote there, is declining his daily presidential briefings. Uh, he is sending his national security advisors and, uh, and that team to take those presidential daily briefings instead, the briefings that he's now entitled to. Uh, as he's considered to be the president-elect. Given all the trouble in the world of late, should it be a concern that Donald Trump is really only taking those briefings reportedly about once a week instead of every day? We will speak with someone shortly who worked at the CIA for decades and personally delivered these uh, intelligence briefings, these uh, presidential daily briefs, personally to presidents like John F. Kennedy, all the way up through Bill Clinton. We'll uh, we'll talk to him to find out answers if we should be concerned about Donald Trump's lack of uh, intelligence briefings. And uh, so uh, you'll want to stay tuned for that shortly. Uh, he'll be joining us. I, I also um, I, I talk on this show quite a bit about our public airwaves. And how they've been taken over by corporations uh, who have been allowed to buy up all of the, the public airwaves, the radio stations, the television stations... Uh, and that is thanks in no small part. Uh, well, first to Ronald Reagan, who did away with the Fairness Doctrine, but then Bill Clinton uh, in uh, 1996, who did away with the telecommute. Well, who 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 passed the Telecommunications Act, which then allowed all of these corporations to buy up all of these independent stations, these independent airwaves that used to compete with each other in the same town. So they would offer differing points of view when uh, you've got a monopoly, when you've got just a a, a handful of these companies that own all of the airwaves. What you get is the corporate uh, point of view on almost all of those airwaves, which are owned by we the people. We license them to these corporations, but we don't uh, they don't own them. They don't own them. They still have to use them to serve the public interest, according to the law. That's according to the law. That's not necessarily according to the FCC, who doesn't seem to give a damn and lets these uh, corporations buy up all the stations and say and do whatever they want with um, virtually, if not completely, no penalty whatsoever for doing so. And that means they're continuing. They they, you know, spout right wing nonsense, corporatist nonsense on all of the public airwaves. And if you drive around this country, as I do, you will find. Good luck. Good luck finding me. You know, I'm on a, a, a handful, a, a, a couple of dozen stations or so, but, you know, compare that to Rush Limbaugh's hundreds and hundreds of stations that are in every market. I mean, there is just no competing and you've got hundreds of millions of Americans driving to and from work every day, listening not just to Rush, but uh, dozens of right wing talkers on the airwaves. Good luck finding me. Good luck finding uh, progressives. Good luck finding anybody countering the conventional corporate media wisdom, which I should add is wrong all the time, as it was when they were telling you that oh, Hillary Clinton was, was going to win this in a landslide. Um, they're always wrong. And, you know, in the, in the cases of the Rush uh, Rush Limbaugh's of the world, they know they're wrong. They know they're lying. They know what they're running as a propaganda scheme rather than a news scheme. And I don't mind, you know, they be as right wing as they want. But these are our public airwaves and they should be used fairly in the public interest and there should be different points of view so people understand what's actually going on in their world I mean, this is you know one. I believe that the 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 corporate ownership of our airwaves is why this nation is in the mess that it is in. It all comes back to the media. It all comes back to the media failing their job, failing their frankly constitutional duty as the only industry that is given dispensation by the Constitution. Um, They're failing. They're failing. Our institutions like the FCC are failing. Uh, One presidential administration after another is failing because they're not regulating these airwaves as they're supposed to. And so we have what we have. We have a nation of disinformed people, disinformed voters. So by way of example, uh, let me take you back to 2014, to The Washington Post. Uh, when they did a story on Sinclair Broadcasting, who you may or may not have even heard of, but they are the uh, the largest television station operator in the nation. Back in 2014, Washington Post wrote about them when they were taking over the uh, uh, ABC affiliate in Washington, D.C., WJLA-TV. They were taking it over uh, in 2014, and at that point... Uh, The Washington Post notes that the Sinclair Broadcasting Group had spent $2.8 billion over just the past three years to buy stations, and at that point, had owned uh, and operated 164 of them across the country, making them the largest TV station operator in the nation. They were, in, they are in nearly, I think they have an extra one. I think they're 165 stations now, but they're in nearly 80% of the markets in the country. They cover 30% of American households, many of which are in the South and the Midwest. And after they took over the station in Washington, D.C., uh, they began adding uh, commentaries to this. The longtime station had uh, been sort of an independent uh, ABC affiliate there for decades in D.C. But after Sinclair took it over, they started adding these commentaries to the station, and they added them to all of their uh, uh, television uh, uh, stations that had news outlets Uh, Sinclair had added these commentaries uh, from these right-wingers. They had uh, just begun a partnership back in 2014 with the right-wing Washington Times to feature the newspaper's Golden Hammer Award, for example, on the air each week. That uh, Golden Hammer Award recognizes the, quote, the most egregious examples of government waste, fraud and abuse as determined By the Washington Times. So, for example, back in August, uh, right before this article in The Washington Post, um, one of the awards went to state and local governments that give Hollywood filmmakers tax credits to lure movie and TV productions, which uh, WJLA's report at the time had suggested amounted to a government subsidy of scripted sex and violence. You would think it uh, amounted to, you know, a government subsidy, perhaps, to to bring in jobs and tourism and everything else that comes with, uh, f- you know, filming in a particular town, but no, this is a government subsidy of sex and violence, as they saw it, and as they told their their viewers on hundreds of stations owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. They had also uh, begun to carry these pieces by uh, Sinclair's Washington Bureau about national issues and federal programs that, uh, that were generally critical of the Obama administration and tended to offer primarily uh, perspectives from what the Washington Post called conservative think tanks. Right-wing think tanks is what they are. So over the years, uh, the company and its executives have been consistent financial contributors to Republican candidates, And uh, and they own all of these stations. So they're contributing to Republicans. They're putting on Republican points of view. All of this over our public airwaves at the time they took over WJL. Uh, They fired uh, all of the management, the longtime management there. Uh, they had sent a memo to station employees directing them not to discuss anything uh, concerning station operations with the out with outsiders. As the Washington Post was working on the story, they replaced the longtime management team. Uh, And at uh, an introductory meeting at the time at WJLA, uh, David Smith of Sinclair Broadcasting uh, alarmed a lot of the staffers when, according to several employees there, he repeatedly said that the station's newsroom would, quote, work for its advertising sales department. And they also, uh, you know, breaking down the firewall that used to exist in any event between uh, between news and advertising. They had also been cited, you may have heard of them, in in years past. Uh, Back in 2004, there was a controversy when Sinclair uh, had considered airing a documentary attacking Democratic presidential candidate John Kerry and, and his military record right before the election. There was a lot of boycotts at the time and uh, the company ended up firing its Washington bureau chief because the bureau chief said that uh, the plans to air that anti carry film just before the election were, as he described it, indefensible. So they got rid of him. They've also been fined uh, a paltry amount by the FCC at various times uh, for airing some uh, broadcasts and not revealing that, for example, the host of the, uh, of the broadcast, Armstrong Williams, who actually... Uh, went on to run Ben Carson's campaign. Uh, They didn't disclose that he had been actually paid by an affiliate of George W. Bush's education department to make favorable comments about the Bush administration's no-child-left-behind policy. So that's who Sinclair Broadcasting is. Well, here's uh, some fantastic news. Donald Trump's campaign apparently struck a deal with Sinclair Broadcasting during the campaign to secure better media coverage, according to his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Uh, who met with business executives last week in Manhattan and told them about this? Apparently, Kushner said the agreement with Sinclair, which owns these stations across the country and in many swing states and in the South, that uh, they often uh, that they that they o- offered packages, uh, news packages. Sinclair offers news packages for their affiliates to run, uh, often making them must run, telling the affiliates they must run this. And Kushner said that the agreement uh, would give them more access to Donald Trump and the campaign. This is according to six different people who heard uh, his remarks, Politico is reporting. In exchange, Sinclair would broadcast their Trump interviews across the country without commentary, Kushner said. So, this is in states like Ohio, uh, where Kushner noted that Sinclair reaches a much wider audience around 250,000 people. He called them listeners. Uh, than networks like CNN, which only reach somewhere around 30,000. So when I say, you know, it's not the cable channels necessarily, it's the public airwaves that makes the difference. Here is an example. In Ohio, they reach 250,000, whereas CNN only reaches 30,000. Kushner said, it's just math, That, according to multiple attendees there. So, uh this was going on before the election. You have a politician actually making deals, making deals with news outlets or which with what used to be news outlets to use our public airwaves to put out their message, their propaganda over our public airwaves without any filter at all because simply because they own Those, uh, the the leases for those stations to broadcast over our public airwaves. Uh, to me, this is, you know, just amazing. Uh, (laughs) that this goes on and that nobody is raising holy hell about it, that Democrats are not raising holy hell about it. I've been riding herd on the Democrats trying to for years concerning our public airwaves and their absolute failure to do anything about it. Uh, and they continue. They continue to hand this over to uh, these uh, huge corporations. And now uh, the people who run these huge corporations are actually in Donald Trump's cabinet, for Christ's sake. Uh, as of last week, the 17 people who U.S. President-elect Donald Trump, according to Quartz, has selected for his cabinet or for posts with cabinet rank will have well over $9.5 billion in combined wealth. With several positions still unfilled, there's been another another one was added since this collection of wealth, they say, is greater than that of the 43 million least wealthy American households combined. That is over one third of American households. In other words, 17 cabinet level picks by Donald Trump have more money than a third of American households combined. And they still have not come up with a way uh to do anything about Donald Trump's conflicts of interest much less all of these billionaires in his cabinet with their conflicts of interest they're apparently meeting uh Donald Trump aides have have been apparently meeting with the uh, Office of Government Ethics to try to figure out what to do and they're going to they're asking they're talking about setting up a discretion a discretionary trust which apparently is something that actually allows Uh, assets that might pose a potential conflict of interest to to be held in a trust, but one that is overseen by family members and that those family members can talk to the owner about. So it's really no trust at all. It's certainly not a blind trust. But they're looking at doing this not only for Donald Trump where his conflicts of interest have been covered, but what about these 17 millionaires and billionaires who are also coming out of these huge corporations who are walking into the Trump administration with enormous conflicts of interest themselves. This is going to be the most corrupt administration that has ever existed in our country just by virtue of all of these conflicts of interest that nobody seems to be actually be doing anything about. Trump had a, a press conference that was supposed to happen last week. He canceled it, and instead... Uh, he he promises he's going to make an announcement about his business empire and what he plans to do with it prior to being sworn in in January. We will see if that ever happens. Maybe it'll happen at the same time that he also promised he would release his taxes. But never mind him. Uh, what about everyone else in his cabinet? Uh, this is j- you know, just extraordinary. And these are the same people, again, you know, the CEO of ExxonMobil, one of the biggest funders of all of these broadcast outlets Good luck watching TV and not seeing an ExxonMobil commercial. So I guess this is a long way of saying, yeah, we're screwed and we continue to be screwed and we got to figure out what the hell we're going to do about it. All right. I got to take a quick break here and uh, and get to Ray McGovern coming up next uh, concerning these intelligence briefings for Donald Trump or lack thereof. That and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs)
2: And thanks.
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, you have probably heard by now that Donald Trump during, the, uh, during his transition, uh, though offered the same presidential daily intelligence briefings given to President Obama each day, Trump has only been bothering to sit through, like, maybe one of them per week. Reportedly, his security team, including his national security advisor and conspiracy monger, General Michael Flynn has been taking those briefings, uh, along with Vice President-elect Mike Pence, but Donald Trump has not been taking those briefings. Trump was asked about that recently on Fox News Sunday.
2: I just want to ask
0: you about your skepticism about the intelligence community. You are getting the presidential daily brief only once a week. Well, I, I get it when I need it. But is, is there's you know, some skepticism? It I, first of all, these are very good people that are giving me the briefings. And I say, if something should change from this point, immediately call me. I'm available on one minute's notice. I don't have to be told, you know, I'm like a smart person. I don't have to be told the same thing and the same words every single
1: day for the next eight years. Could be eight years, but eight years. I don't need that. He doesn't need that. Uh, so, is that true? Not not that he's a smart person. Not that part, but that the presidential daily briefings or PDBs are essentially the same thing every day, and that there's no real need to waste the time of a busy future. Commander-in-Chief with such details during his uh, his busy transition period. Uh, and Even with so much going on in the world, from the major uh, terror attacks in the last uh, several days in at least four countries to ongoing, if still unevidenced, concerns about foreign nations, like Russia meddling in U.S. elections, allegedly, uh, and so much more. Now, how much is a future President Trump missing? by not receiving these uh, daily briefings from the C- CIA and, as Trump seems to be insinuating, can those briefings from the nation's top intelligence agencies even be trusted? Since this issue has come up, I, there's been one guy, one man who I wanted to talk to about all of this to better understand it. Uh, joining us now is a man who knows no small amount of uh, about what type of intelligence is given to Uh, A president on a daily basis and a president-elect. He knows what it is they are told, what they need to know, how these things actually work. Joining us now is 27-year CIA analyst Ray McGovern. During those 27 years, he served as chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch and prepared and personally delivered... The CIA's presidential daily briefings each morning to George Bush Sr. and Ronald Reagan, among other presidents, since leaving the agency, he's become an anti-war advocate and a peace activist. In January of 2013, he co-founded the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity or VIPS and includes a, a, a whole bunch of former Intel officers uh, and whistleblowers like Dan Ellsberg and Colleen Raleigh and Thomas Drake and, and many others. Ray is also a contributor at ConsortiumNews.com, among other places, and his writings can also be found via RayMcGovern.com. Oh, Mr. McGovern, welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
0: Thanks, Brad. Glad to be with you.
1: Always great to have you here. Now, as I understand it, the way the uh, the presidential daily briefings, the, the PDB, has been delivered to presidents has actually changed over the years. I think when you started, as I believe you've told me in the past, the, the, the PDB was not a personal Daily uh, briefing for the president, uh, or in this case, the man who will soon officially be the president. Uh, but it was delivered as a memo for the president and his team to review. Can can you explain how the PDB was delivered differently for the different presidents when you were involved, and and how it has changed now since uh, since 9/11? Well,
0: first came on in 1963 when president kennedy was still in office uh, it was called a pickle mm-hmm. that was the p-i-c-l uh, the president's intelligence checklist <laughs> okay and it was very brief it was very succinct uh, the analysis would come later and that's how president uh, kennedy preferred to get his alert PDBs, uh, uh, pdb his president's mm-hmm. daily brief now it evolved uh, with nixon of course we had uh, we put it on legal size form, but uh, very often we didn't get through to Nixon because uh, Henry Kissinger would intercept it, and since mm. he knew it, well, everything about everything, he would not—you know—he would not give the president everything. He would. <laughs> so the Nixon, we were never sure got the whole thing. Ah. However, uh, when Reagan came in, this is the interesting story—he uh-huh. uh, didn't know much about. Uh, um, about foreign affairs and so he went to admiral turner our director at the time cia director and we said admiral turner we think that we should give the pdb the president's daily brief mm-hmm. uh, to ronald reagan right now even though he's only president-elect and uh, turner looked at us and he said you know that's a good idea so he went and asked jimmy carter carter said of course next thing you know two of my colleagues senior to me uh, very very experienced folks got on a plane with uh... newly made uh... CIA ID cards uh-huh. showed up at the palisades uh... home of, uh, of reagan the next morning told the secret service well we're here to brief the president secret service and we don't have any word about this and just then as luck would have it uh... president uh... uh... president-elect reagan mm-hmm. came down in his bathrobe and pajamas and said, what's going on here and, was a PDB uh, president daily brief uh, CIA briefer, sir. And next thing you know, uh, my two friends, uh, my two colleagues, were uh-huh. having breakfast with President uh, President-elect Reagan. Uh, he loved the one-on-one treatment because the two went home to Washington, and one stayed, uh, and one rotated for the for the several weeks between that time and the inauguration. At the inauguration, um, uh, when Vice President George W. Bush, who who really knew about the intelligence uh, business? Since he had been director earlier on, uh-huh. he said, "Well, you know, uh, I'd like to get the pre- I'd like to get the president's daily brief. Even though I'm vice president, I think Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, your assistant for national security affairs, they should all get it as well." Now, what time do you want to get it, President Reagan? And he said, "Well, you know, it's kind of awful early uh, the way they handle things. I think maybe." Yes, well, I think I'll sleep in, and uh, at 11.30, uh, why don't you guys all come to me, having read the daily brief and uh, having figured out what I need to worry about. And, and so now, let me just
1: to, just to ask you, Ray, so you're saying up until Reagan, uh, President's-elect did not get any uh, briefings at all from the intelligence agencies?
0: They got briefings, but they didn't get the President's daily brief
1: ah the this is
0: the identical this is pretty highly classified it's the, it's the acme of the intelligence cycle and uh, maybe i should just, just to give you an awareness of how important the process is
2: uh-huh.
0: you know it's at the pinnacle of what we call the intelligence cycle it starts of course with what the president needs to know or what policy needs to know and those are called requirements those requirements go out for collection, whether it's by satellites or, or human agents. Uh-huh. Uh, those things are collected; they go, get, they get processed, particularly if they're technical things, processed, then analyzed, and put in a final form and given to the president. Now, that's ideally the way it works, and that's the way it did work, because we had one-on-one contact with all the chief policymakers, and we knew what they were interested in. We got follow-up questions from them, and that in turn. Would drive the entire intelligence cycle. It was a, uh, a casebook. It was a textbook sort of so, thing. So, so uh, that, it, was, it was very
1: good duty. That that started. Yeah, it sounds like it. So it so it, so it started with with Reagan uh, as president elect that he would get the full PDB, the same thing I guess that the president got, and mm-hmm. then and it wasn't until uh, the Reagan presidency that the actually the vice president was read into the PDB every day. That's correct.
0: Yeah. And uh, this was, you know, kind of one-on-one. In Mm -hmm. other words, uh, we were senior uh, analysts. We trusted. We'd been around for a while. We were going to tell it like it is. If there were questions, we would either answer them or say, we don't know, and get the answers the next day or right away if you needed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was just, you know, I couldn't conceive of better duty. And uh, Mm. we were apolitical. Uh, George H. W. Bush, uh, I can say he became a friend, uh, but he also knew I would never vote for him. <laughs> a- and he knew that simply because I didn't laugh at the right time, so I right. didn't join in the candor, you know when they made fun of the Democrats and that kind of stuff. So So they treat you, at least he did as professionals. And they trust you the more for that because you know you see they don't see any sycophants there. They don't see any huh. people trimming their analysis to abide by what they think is the prevailing winds.
1: Is it is it good enough then, in your opinion, uh, to send you know the advisor, the the uh, national security advisor to get these uh, five or six or seven days a week instead of? getting them personally from the you know the, the president himself does it concern you when you hear donald trump say hey i'm a smart guy i don't need to hear the same thing every day and by the way ray mcgovern is it the same thing every day is it just a, a matter of delivering the same details day in and day out as trump seems to be suggesting in that clip
0: well when i first heard that brad uh, i have to confess i was outraged you know i <laughs> I spilled a lot of blood uh, over the PDB, not only under Reagan, but under Nixon and Ford as well. Um, excruciating effort went into making it as concise as could be and, mm-hmm. and informative. And presidents needed to know this stuff. So my initial reaction was outrage. But then I start thinking about it, right? Now, Donald Trump is a smart guy. Uh-huh. Donald Trump knows that the CIA is trying to sabotage. His accession to power, trying to make him out as a patsy or a puppet of mm-hmm. Putin, and trying to say, well, he never would have won the election without Putin hacking into emails and so forth, and uh, and and tilting the scales. Now, put yourself in Trump's position. Uh, I tried to do that. What I want to see representatives of this same guy, John Brennan. Every morning or six mornings a week, the way it works out, to dish out what I can't be convinced of is something I should trust i don't think so and so you know this is a terrible thing to say I mean it's uh-huh. a very sad state of affairs, but John Brennan is not trusted, especially by Trump, and neither is the the mainstream media that is uh, um, bellowing what John Brennan is saying on the basis of no and i, I, I say this again no evidence that Russia hacked in in any way to uh, to affect the election so so if I were Trump I would say well Pence is getting it Uh, Flynn's getting it if something really important happens I'll get it and besides I'm not president yet for God's sakes I don't have to make any alarming decisions right here so I you know I got other things to do like I need to pick my cabinet I need to schmooze with the press to the degree I do so so I can understand it do I Do I condone it? Well, not really. I mean, the guy should be, he should realize that the earlier he starts getting this daily diet of really important intelligence, the better for him, especially since he doesn't have a lot of experience in this this, this realm.
1: But Ray, if, as you're sugge- I mean, you're suggest- that's a, a, a quite a serious charge, that the CIA is attempting to make a patsy, John Brennan, the CIA director, uh, and the CIA itself is attempting to make a patsy out of Donald Trump, that there is no evidence that Russia in any way tried to uh, manipulate our elections. as a I mean, a almost 30 year CIA guy, It's one thing the CIA has not put out the evidence, but you're actually charging that they are trying to make a patsy out of him that the evidence does not actually exist. Uh, Is that what you're saying?
0: That's exactly what I'm saying, and I take no pleasure in saying that. You mentioned 9-11 before, Brad. Mm -hmm. You know, you you hear the the meme, Mm -hmm. after 9-11, everything changed. Right. Well, the ethos of intelligence changed. And that's why we set up our veteran intelligence professionals' for sanity to ride herd on our former uh, former colleagues who let themselves be suborned into fabricating intelligence. Now, don't let no one be uh, be misled into thinking the intelligence was mistaken before the war in Iraq. It was it was out and out fraud, and we were we'd never seen the like of it. Okay. So when we saw that, uh, we tried to right-herd on what these people were doing. It was, it was too late to affect Bush and, and Cheney. But when you had the PDB in those days, who was delivering the PDB? This fellow named Mike Morell. Mm-hmm. He must be the grandson of uh, Charlie Rose, because Charlie Rose had him on 11 times in the last year. Mm-hmm. He comes on, he says, Charlie, Charlie we, we, have to, we have to kill a lot of Russians and a lot of Syrians there, but we've got to do it. Uh, last week, Charlie, we've got to give offensive weapons to the people in Ukraine. You're just to show the Russians how tough we are. Now, Morrell was, was brooded about by George Tenet, the director then, as an ace briefer, okay? But you know what happened? George Tenet, who wanted to put himself in good favor with George W. Bush, hitched a ride with the morning briefer and therefore got time. With George W. Bush, mm-hmm. so here's Morrell trying to do the briefing as I did, and sitting behind him is the director George Tenet, mm-hmm. uh, who, as we know now, and this is confirmed by the Senate, the five-year Senate report, for Pete's sake, who deliberately gave uh, Bush what Bush asked for, and that was quote intelligence and quote concocted to justify a war. Now, let's say. Uh, the president asked Mike Morales, uh, mm-hmm. Mike, what, what, how, how confident are you people about weapons of mass destruction uh, in uh, in Iraq? Now, I would be clued in enough with the analysts to say to George W. Bush, uh, it's a fraud. There aren't any. We don't have any evidence of that. Now, what are the chances I would be back the next day uh, the director, mm-hmm. George W. Bush, having George Tenet, having heard that, that was not the line that was to be pronounced. And, you know, it's so corrupt that the one method of, con- of collection that would have been foolproof to show that they did or they did not have weapons of mass destruction, what happened was Tenet and Rumsfeld put a fellow named James Clapper in charge of satellite imagery mm-hmm. analysis. James Clapper was head of this mapping and intelligence agency, right. and that was the agency that covers Iraq every square foot, and could find no weapons of mass destruction. And so, when they got tips from these emigres with a you know kind of a, a penchant toward making war on Saddam Hussein, uh, there's a there's a chemical weapons facility at these coordinates. And the imagery analyst yeah. checked that out and said to, to, to Clapper, to General Clapper, sorry, that's just a chicken coop. Guess how far that report we get. What I'm saying here is General Clapper uh, put the whole uh, imagery analysis uh, in uh, in submission, and no one could report the fact that there was no evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq And he was the guy that should know because he was in charge of the imagery analysis. After it was discovered that there weren't any, what did Clapper say? He said, oh, I think probably they went to Syria. This is the same guy that lied about NSA three years ago under oath, and he's still the director of national intelligence. So the system is totally corrupt, and so I don't exaggerate Mm -hmm. when I say the kinds of things that I do that when uh, Trump looks at this, he needs to, to clean house thoroughly, Because he's a smart guy, and he knows that John Brennan has done everything he can, not only to risk his accession to power, but also to handcuff him so that he can't uh, practice the policies that he has advocated, namely the big one talking
1: to the russians this is not necessarily weapons of mass destruction we've had uh 10 20 however 15 years at this point to to go back and make uh make sense of that or not make sense of what happened there and just because they lied or they misled or whatever you want to call it about weapons of mass destruction in the lead up to iraq that does not necessarily mean they are lying now does it well and before you answer that let me just let me play you this question, because I, I'm with you in that I would like to see more evidence about these claims. I am not comfortable with the the chest thumping and warmongering and so forth that's going on uh, uh, right now with with Russia and Putin and so forth uh, that the U.S. seems to be doing. I have not been comfortable with that during the entire campaign when Hillary Clinton was doing it. Uh, that said, it's one thing to be skeptical. It's another thing to charge that they are out and out lying. Uh, and even Glenn, Glenn Greenwald who does say they are liars in general, is not here charging to my knowledge that they're lying. This is The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald. He's been highly skeptical of what are still these largely anonymous secondhand allegations of Russian interference in the U.S. election. He's been writing about it. This was Glenn Greenwald on Fox News this week. We should be extremely skeptical of it for multiple reasons. To begin with, this is a secondhand report, so you have somebody whose identity is being shielded Describing what the CIA supposedly concluded, laundering that through the Washington Post. These are assertions that are being made completely unaccompanied by any evidence whatsoever, let alone evidence that we can touch and, and rationally review. There's all kinds of reasons to suspect the CIA statements, including the fact that they're wrong all the time. Um, they're programmed in a lot of cases to disseminate disinformation, and there's lots yeah. of reasons to view them as political actors. Um, and so I think we ought to be highly skeptical. Highly skeptical is one thing Ray McGovern but what you're saying is they're out and out lying and That's right. That's yeah, let me chart. explain. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. In our group which numbers about 50 now, we have expertise that won't quit. We have the former technical director of NSA who set up these collection programs. Bill Vinnie, who is this technical director, I mm-hmm. can easily tell us with 100% surety that NSA collects all emails, knows the origin, knows the destination. There is nothing that escapes its attention. Even when it goes abroad, they have people doing that for them, about 12 other countries. When it's inside the country, it's a a piece of cake. So is uh, when it transits the country. So they have it all. Now, if they have it all and there's a hack of some kind, they would be able to find out not only that there was a hack, but that the the originator, who the originator was and who the uh, recipient was, and there's no such evidence of any such hack as tied to the Russian government. Now, that's from a technical point of view. And I know it boggles the mind, but they do. They do collect everything, and the slides that Ed Snowden provided, and we have them, uh, we put them in this memo, Mm -hmm. um, shows that they do that. Now, if they do that, uh, then you can rule out a hack, So what do we have here we have something very different it's a completely different animal it's a leak it's something that doesn't go over the network you put in a thumb drive you you download something and (laughs) ironically i said "Uh, bill Mm -hmm. uh, can't they trace a thumb drive and he said well you know i worked on a program that would have allowed them to do that Uh, they could have they could have caught snowden if they had implemented my program but they discarded it in favor of something else. So a thumb drive, you put it in there, there's no trace of what happened. That's what Ed Snowden did. You know, thats what he, mm-hmm. he must have brought about 100 thumb drives into Hong Kong, and that's what uh, Bradley or Chelsea Manning did in Iraq. That's what it is, an external drive of some kind given to WikiLeaks. And WikiLeaks, people say, that the Russians were not involved.
1: Well, they say the Russians were not involved, and and again, I'm I'm trying to be skeptical here of everyone. And I, actually, I've been in touch with uh, Bill Binney, asking him about some of this. And you know, one of the things that we we know is that uh, the the documents, at least from John Podesta, came via a phishing attack where someone sent him an email and they said, sure, go ahead, respond to it. And he he gave away essentially his password. And I'm not sure if that would be tracked or not. What kind of evidence would you need to see and would VIPs need to see from the CIA uh, to prove their case before you buy their case? What sort of Evidence. What sort of technical evidence uh, would you need to see, and what sort of evidence could be uh, released publicly that would not expose uh, sources and methods and so forth?
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I used the example of weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. because it's like uh, trying to prove a negative. All right. Now, the the information was all negative. There was no imagery. And, you know, we're not just talking about photographs. We're talking about infrared, we're talking about radio, we're talking about all Mm -hmm. kinds of sophisticated systems which we taxpayers pay billions of dollars every year for, okay? Mm -hmm. There was not a trace of a weapon of mass destruction there. James Clapper knew that. He suppressed that information in favor of the concocted evidence to to justify a war. Similarly, in this case, if it was a hack, Mm -hmm. uh, there would be evidence. The lack of evidence is kind of you know it, it, it's there. It's it's uh, persuasive to those people who understand these things, and as I say, when we talk about Bill Binney, well, you know, Glenn Greenwald is a terrific guy, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the technical expertise that the former technical director of the NSA has, and so yeah, I believe that, and I believe it's uh, you know if the the CIA wanted to get up and say this is the evidence. They need to do it, not anonymously. They need to take, take responsibility for it. They need to tell the people, not the Washington Post and the New York Times or the Senate. And they haven't done that because they don't have the evidence. And, and, and I think that the whole thing is explained by the fact that they want to explain uh, why Hillary lost the election and, in the same voice, blacken the Russians in a way that when, that when uh, Trump comes in, He'll be handcuffed. Uh, everyone will know that he owes his election, so to speak, to the Russians, that he's a good friend of Putin, and so he'll be handicapped from doing deals which could solve, in, in large measure, the Syria situation, the situation in Central Europe, and you know, and, and dispel the notion that the Russians are going to attack Latvia, Estonia or Lithuania. He's a deal maker and there's no reason why he couldn't do this. Now, what's the big fear? The big fear is that if you have a lesser, lessening intention, or if you have a, you know, a, a, if peace breaks out in Europe, my God, what happens to, well, uh, I like to refer to what uh, Pope Francis called the blood-soaked arms traders. What happens to these guys? Uh, they're you know, not out of business, but they lose a lot of business. War and tension... Very good for business, Brad, as you know. Peace, not so good.
1: Ray, I've got just a minute or so here. I want to ask you one uh, one last point. Uh, we spoke with uh, with national security journalist uh, Marcy Wheeler, who I think you know. Uh, mm-hmm. A week or so ago, about what is known and what is not known, and and you're right, a lot of this stuff is coming from secondhand sources, uh, un, you know, not, uh, unnamed, anonymous sources. A lot of it coming through the Democrats. Uh, so I had we we were talking about these allegations, what we know and what we don't, and one of the things she pointed out. Uh, And this also goes back to Iraq, was that she noted uh, that you know there's these references to the to an NIE, a National Intelligence Estimate, that happened, of course, in the Iraq War uh, with George W. Bush, but it's also happening now where they're referring to National Intelligence Estimates and a consensus uh, of the intelligence agencies who believe that uh, Russia has hacked. Uh, to manipulate the election and so forth. So when we hear the word consensus, she called it a term of art. When we hear the word consensus without having the actual hard evidence in front of us, but they say a consensus of intelligence agencies, uh, is that specifically a term to be skeptical of? How does a consensus actually work amongst the 17 or so different uh, U.S. intelligence agencies and... Is there such a thing as a consensus amongst that uh, amongst that group?
0: Yeah, I have, I have great respect for Morsi. I used to chair national intelligence estimates. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as consensus. There's a majority view, and there are footnotes. Mm-hmm. Even with respect to this fraudulent estimate on Iraq's continuing—that was the title of the thing—continuing program for weapons of mass destruction. Even there, uh, no one. Claimed that it was unanimous. The State Department, to mm-hmm. its great credit, took a footnote. So,
1: and but that—that's uh, what she was trying to say. By the way, she was being skeptical of the word consensus. She was yeah. saying, "Oh, that's well, I, what they yeah. used before, and that's what they're yeah. using again as a to to convince yeah. well, us." Well,
0: I agree, I agree with that. And what I have to say is that uh, uh, you know I was prepared after the Iraq debacle and the deliberate manufacturing of evidence or intelligence. Uh, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I mean the analysis group where I worked for 27 years out with the operators whose trade is to to lie and deceive. Uh, I'm glad I didn't because the only time that I know that a national intelligence estimate has played a huge role in preventing a war came in 2007 when an honest manager came in from state, Department Intelligence, Tom Finger is his name, he ran an estimate, an NIE, National Intelligence Estimate, on Iran and found out that they had stopped working on a nuclear weapon at the end of 2003. I repeat, at the end of 2003 and had not resumed work on a nuclear weapon. That prevented, and I do not exaggerate, that prevented Bush and Cheney from starting a war with Iran before they left office in 2008 Mm -hmm. you can read Bush's own memoirs it's crystal clear so what I'm saying here is there are still very honest analysts in the bowels of the intelligence agencies and that was manifest in lots lots of things in two cases especially Uh, the celebrated sarin attack outside of Damascus uh, at the end of August 2013 Mm -hmm. what happened there The intelligence would not go along with what John Kerry said, namely that Bashar al-Assad was responsible for that. The intelligence analysts knew that that sarin was brought in by rebels and used by rebels, okay, to mousetrap our president into making a war. So what did they do? They said, if you want an intelligence assessment, we're going to tell like it is. And so Kerry said, well, no, we'll create a new art form. And he created something called a government assessment which means that it was it was put together in the White House mm-hmm. by political hacks. That happened one more time under Kerry, and that was when MH17, the Malaysian airline, went down over Ukraine. My former colleague would not agree to blame the Russians or the pro-Russians or anything like that because the evidence was not, not in that direction. And so Kerry went again with a government uh, assessment. So these are actually... These are the only two instances in my experience of uh, going back fifty years now uh, where national intelligence estimates were not possible because those footnotes would shriek out saying, "Yes, but this doesn't mean that or that doesn't mean that so this is uh, Marcy is right. this is kind of a fallback. You say, "Well, we have a consensus, which means that the 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 managers who sniffed the winds flowing from the seventh floor say, so, oh, yeah, we think it's, it's the way the, the administration wants it to be. And the underlings, to keep their jobs, uh, yeah. say, all right, well, don't, don't say it's unanimous, please. If you want to say it's a consensus among you managers, well, okay, you want to get promoted further. That's the way it's become. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but the fact that they can't say, hey, this is unanimous, or they can't stand up and have one person say, I'm Joe Doakes and i worked for the cia for 20 years and my experience has been such and such and i can tell you for sure that on this particular day uh, someone in the kremlin Mm -hmm. communicated with someone else here and they hacked into the dnc it was all (laughs) in 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 the bronx we call that a crock and that's what's at the bottom of all this
1: ray i i appreciate that and i got to get out uh, Ray McGovern, 27-year CIA analyst during which he served as the chief of the Soviet foreign policy branch at the CIA and delivered presidential daily briefings to president after president. He's now a contributor at ConsortiumNews.com, founder of the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, and you can find all of his work at RayMcGovern.com. Ray, always great talking to you, always insightful Much appreciate your time today, and happy holidays to you. And the same to you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, yeah, I know. we got to get out. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with the Bradcast. More right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world, and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media, you know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump, must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. So there you go. My thanks to Ray McGovern of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, we've got uh, just a second here, a uh, minute or two, Des, before we got to get out. Um, but, uh, you know, Ray McGovern, he's no Donald Trump fan. He's not a Republican. He was uh, one of the top critics of uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, hated Cheney, was a relentless critic against uh, Dick Cheney. But that's his assessment about what is going on. Uh, Do not trust the the reports uh, concerning Russia. And not just that there is uh, no evidence, but uh, he believes it's a leak. Now, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting conversation. I have seen he referenced this memo from his group, from the VIPs group. Um, they put out an open letter citing the lack of evidence about Russian hacking, which, as as noted, I generally agree with, that there really is no, at least, public evidence that has been presented, and a lot of unnamed sources referring to secret intelligence estimates. Um And uh, so I, th- that was his letter, uh, and I agree with that part of it. Uh, and then there is their charge that there was more evidence that it was that all of these emails from the DNC and, and Podesta and so forth were leaked by an insider. And as I mentioned with Ray, I've been speaking with Bill Binney, that NSA uh, uh, whistleblower, the guy who, who put together the, the systems, the technical systems for the NSA, that uh, Edward Snowden exposed. Uh, I've been talking to him and some of the other top-level intel guys in his VIPs group, but i got to say I disagree, at least as of now, with their assertion that there is more evidence to indicate a leak versus a hack. Uh, It it could be a leak, but as far as the available evidence to uh, support that, um, I guess it's what Ray was saying is the lack of evidence to show a hack leads us to believe it's a leak. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm skeptical. So I, I had. I had. I'm skeptical about everything. I had planned to actually talk to Ray about the about the Trump intelligence briefings stuff specifically, but then the conversation moved on to the other stuff that I suspect we will revisit in one fashion or another after. Uh, after the holidays, I suspect.
2: Yes, I, I suspect we will get more information on this, but it's so deeply confusing, and <laughs> I'm concerned that we won't actually ever get to the bottom of it. To the real information. To the real information, yeah. to the real evidence, and I, and I understand the restrictions on that, but there are also you know, this this just is disturbingly reminds me of the run-up to the Iraq War, and the speed with which uh, political groups jumped in to say, no, it must be this way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, skepticism is good and skepticism is warranted
1: well I would say it's different uh, and I agree you're absolutely right I would say the one thing that makes it different from the run-up to the Iraq war is that you have people like Ray McGovern and Bill Binney and uh, you know Marcy Wheeler and Glenn Greenwald and so on and so forth saying hey wait a minute be skeptical before you start to go to a war whether it's a, a military war or a cyber war let's see the evidence
2: Yeah, we've seen this movie. It's it's not a great movie. (laughs)
1: Uh, You know, you got many of these uh, national security journalists who I respect that I've been talking to, and they question the, the claims that are now being taken as conventional wisdom by not just many in the Democrats, but most dangerously, the corporate media. And of course, those are the same corporate media who told us with complete certainty that there was WMD in Iraq, and that and that Hillary Clinton was going to win the 2000 election, 2016 election. So, yeah, I've come to be a bit skeptical about just about anything that they report, uh, at least when I'm not able to personally review the evidence of. Such serious charges, and that's also true concerning the, uh, the veteran intelligence professionals for sanity charge that the emails were leaked by an insider rather than hacked. Too much speculation without independently verifiable evidence all around for my tastes. Uh, But we'll continue to dig and see if we can uh, eventually get at the truth. So my thanks to uh, Ray McGovern. Uh, You can find uh, more on his work at raymcgovern.com. My thanks as well today to our producer, as usual, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Or in your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. Thanks again to all of those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and make sure there is at least a uh, an alternate voice to the conventional wisdom out there. We're trying. Uh, okay, anything else? Oh yeah, our email is bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find us, follow us, like us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world!